Welcome to the inaugural episode of Approximate Knowledge. We are three communists in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been organizing here for six years. We have experience in the student movement, the anti-police crimes movement, and the labor movement. My name is Nick. I'm a labor organizer with the Teamsters at UPS. I'm Jade. I grew up in Washington State in a Mormon family and moved to Utah to go to Brigham Young University a little over 10 years ago. I, I then left the Mormon church, became a communist, and started to get politically involved. And as Nick said, I've been doing organizing in Salt Lake City for the last six years. I work with Utah Against Police Brutality. And I'm Aaron. I'm an Oregonian theater kid, and I work with Utah Against Police Brutality. And our plan with the podcast is pretty open-ended. Uh, we want to talk about uh, politics, national and local. Uh, we also want to talk about arts and culture and history and weird esoteric ideas, whatever. But at the current moment, we are 10 weeks into the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, at least from the, the time that the, the deaths began and the lockdown started here in the U.S. Uh, so it's a very, very uncertain moment, and we are um, talking to our friends um, here in the city and across the country to gain a better understanding of the current moment and what we can do as working and oppressed people to uh, respond to it. And if you have any questions for us and would like to be on our podcast because you're an organizer, you can reach us at our email, approximateK at gmail.com, or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Approximate Knowledge SLC. All right. Uh, about a week ago, on May 9th, we spoke with a friend of ours, Professor Masao Suzuki, he is in San Jose, California, and is a professor of economics, and he joined us for a discussion about COVID and the economic conditions and some of the elements that are impacting that. He also writes for the publication Fight Back News, which you can find his articles at fightbacknews.org uh, under Suzuki. So check those out. All right, and with that, we'll jump into the interview. I, I was uh, just Googling you to uh, um, get something for the introduction, but I, I did see you have a very high rate, my professor rating. Yeah. <laughs> Although one of the things I've lacked that my office mate has, I've never gotten a hot rating. Really oh, you've never gotten a hot rating. Oh, that's nope. too bad. Nope. I'd give you a hot and rating. I don't know why my, but my um, office mate gets it. Can, I has it. <laughs> <laughs> why is he hot and I'm not? It's okay. Um, yeah, we're talking today with Professor Masao Suzuki from Skyline College, a veteran of the fight for socialism and uh, national liberation, especially among Asian Americans in the United States. Um, and we're talking about the current um, economic crisis, um, uh, 
due in part to COVID, um, but uh, I've been trying to, to use this this moment to, to understand a lot of things that I should have um, already known. Um, I'm, I'm really ignorant when it comes to uh, macroeconomics. I can barely understand a standard business report. So uh, the first place I went to um, try to get caught up was uh, Professor Suzuki's articles in Fight Back News. Um, I started going back to uh, to October and, and earlier, and uh, going week by week, and trying to understand the the developments as they've happened. Um, and the, the latest one, unemployment highest since the Great Depression, uh, which is not uh, uh, something that I, I think you're hearing a lot from from corporate media. Um, but can you explain uh, explain that that we're actually um, approaching, if not passing, the the peak of of twenty five percent unemployment um, that we, we we reached during the Great Depression? Okay. Um, so anyway, um, every month on the f- first Friday of the month, unless it's the first day of the month, um, the Labor Department comes out with a monthly uh, report on the labor market. And so this report came out uh, just a day before yesterday on um, Friday, uh, May 8th for the month of April. And um, the official unemployment rate uh, soared from uh, 4.4% in March to 14.7% in April, a jump of more than 10% and just one uh, month. And this is the highest total unemployment rate since uh, records began uh, going back to 1948. And it's uh, probably the worst since the Great Depression of the 30s when the unemployment rate uh, peaked at about 25%. I should note that uh, the Labor Department wasn't reporting uh, these statistics in the same way. Most of them are uh, post-World War II. And today, like those official statistics there's reasons that it they don't they might not actually match that actual unemployment rate as far like from what i've heard like that often like those official numbers don't even represent like the actual number of workers who are out of work sure because the um unemployment rate is or what i call the official unemployment rate which is the headline rate that you'll see in the newspapers and on the news um, is definitely an undercount of the people who've been thrown out of work. Um, Because in order to be classified as unemployed in the government's count, you have to be both out of work and looking for work. And what happened um, is that more than uh, 6 million people had lost their jobs during that period uh, but were not uh, considered unemployed uh, because they were not looking for work. And if you include um, these folks in the unemployment rate, the unemployment rate would have been um, uh, almost 19%, not the 14.7 uh, that was uh, reported. Um, the official unemployment rate also does not include people who um, had their hours cut. Uh, and a lot of workers uh, had their uh, hours uh, cut. Their, the Labor Department does report um, on this. They have an alternative uh, with the real uh, 
sort of wonky name, U6, um, that showed that the number of uh, part-time work, people who were working part-time uh, because of bad economic conditions, not because they wanted to work part-time, uh, doubled, almost doubled uh, from March to April uh, from about 3.5% of the labor force in March to about 6.8% uh, of the labor force uh, in uh, April. And so this was also another thing that was uh, very widespread. Um, one thing I just would like to add here, maybe you were going to uh, ask me about it uh, later, uh, we can come back to it more, is that I think it's important to look at how uh, unemployment affects different groups uh, differently. And so um, at, typically, as usual, uh, oppressed nationality workers, African-American, Chicano, Latino, and Asian-American workers were the hardest hit by this surge in unemployment. Um, the official unemployment rate, and this is not counting the part-timers and not counting the people who stopped or didn't look for work, uh, hit a record high of 18.9%, um, highest on record for them. Uh, African-Americans uh, was 16.7% and Asian-Americans at 14.5%. In contrast, uh, the unemployment rate for white workers uh, went up quite a bit still to 13.4%, uh, while lower than the oppressed nationality workers, it's still the highest uh, rate on uh, record for white workers. Now, one of the things that is um, not typical of recessions is what happened to uh, men and women. So typically during a recession, uh, manufacturing and construction are hit the hardest. Um, uh, for example, in the last uh, recession, uh, housing construction fell, new home construction fell like 75%, and the vast majority of uh, uh, construction, home construction labor uh, is male. And so it's typical to have the uh, unemployment rate for men to soar faster and higher than that of women. But this is not a typical uh, recession. And uh, because, in fact, the uh, service industry was uh, the hardest hit single sector, and I'll come back to that in a little bit, uh, the unemployment rate for women actually rose uh, higher and faster than that for men. So uh, when the unemployment rate for women uh, was about 15.5% uh, versus about 13% for men. And so this is still, even though it's, uh, again, not as high as for women, it's the highest unemployment rate uh, for men since, as long as records have been kept, uh, which means basically going back to the Great Depression. And those numbers that are reported in the official report. Those are from people who filed for unemployment. Is that how the government gets those statistics or um, do, I mean, is there another way? Cause I imagine that would also leave out like a lot of undocumented workers or other like sectors of work that maybe wouldn't go to apply for that, those unemployment benefits. Right. Well, actually, no, that's um, one distinction um, that's important. The uh, unemployment rate uh, is uh, done uh, by a survey of households um, that the Labor Department does every month. And they 
they they they sample about fifty to sixty thousand households, covering you know a couple hundred thousand people, and I'm sure undocumented um, uh, workers are uh, undercounted, um, but I, it does actually include um, a lot of the uh, uh, undocumented because they don't they do ask people about their immigration status, but they don't ask about um, uh, the legal status. Um, so one of the things, one of the drawbacks of the survey is the survey actually ended on April 12th. And so we know wow. that <laughs> millions of people were laid off between April 12th. That's almost a month ago now. It's four weeks ago. Um, and uh, so in that way, too, it's not necessarily the fault of the um, Labor Department or any attempted uh, distortion, but things are moving so fast that this snapshot as of April 12th is not even representative of um, uh, what's going on today. And so um, uh, one of the ways to try and incorporate what we know from the uh, unemployment uh, filings, which is a weekly a number, and um, the labor report is um, sort of on the flip side of the labor report is a report on the number of jobs uh, that people are actually working. And I prefer this number because it isn't affected by, it's just at, it's just how many people are working. It's not affected by uh, people who are not working and did they look for work, not look for work, et cetera. And so um, this so-called employment report showed that uh, about 20 million, more than 20 million jobs were wiped out in the report. And when you add to it the job losses from March, um, those two combined have wiped out all of the jobs gained since the last recession ended in 2009. So basically almost 11 years of job gains have been uh, vaporized in uh, two months. Um, the hardest hit sector uh, was uh, leisure and hospitality, including restaurants, hotels, and entertainment. Um, they lost more than a third of the total job loss, or $7.7 million were in this sector. And one of the other ways to look at it is that when you look at the combination of people lost their jobs and people whose hours were cut, um, the uh, number of hours worked in this sector was less than half of what it was in March, right? And so this is a, a and in really March, historic drop. In March, we already started shutting down a lot of those sectors as well. Right, so, so they were the, they were the uh, uh, one of the first uh, heaviest hit uh, um, sectors. And I think it's important to note that the job losses, like for example, the job losses listed in March, all happened before any states or counties uh, did a, uh, did any stay at home orders because uh, people were uh, because of the pandemic, people were not going in for doctor's appointments, canceling dentist appointments, uh, not traveling, not going on plane flights, not going to hotels, um, and so not going to restaurants in particular. I remember, um, I guess it was uh, March twelfth. I think no, was it twelfth March fourteenth? Anyway, it was right before. Uh, we got a stay-at-home order here in the Bay Area, but we went to our favorite um, 
Chinese restaurant, which it's a fair sized restaurant. It seats about 175 people if all the seats are filled. And I knew there wouldn't be many people, but when my wife and I walked in, we were the only two customers in the whole restaurant. And I was like, oh dear, this place is not going to survive. And as far as I know, they were not able to. Wow, that's too bad. (laughs) We went out like the weekend before our stay-at-home order and kind of debated it because, you know, there were starting to be some like just general guidelines about avoiding people in crowds. Mm -hmm. But we also went to one of our favorite restaurants and it was very, uh, yeah, there just were not a lot of people there either. And then afterwards we're like, maybe we shouldn't have even gone out. Like, we don't know. I mean, the way I looked at it is if we were the only people in the restaurant, (laughs) other than one server who served us, um, you know, it wasn't... It was even less risky than I thought it might. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it is, if it's a full restaurant, um, uh, it can be risky. There was this one uh, study done about this uh, one person who was infected, who infected nine other people in the restaurant. And it was just interesting because it weren't necessarily the people closest to them. Uh, it depended on the airflow. So it was everyone who was uh, down, sort of downstream air conditioning wise when this person got affected. But if you were sort of on the side, you weren't. But it is a, it is someplace where um, uh, one can get um, in, uh, infected. Um, so anyway, um, I, I going back to the point I made about um, the report being made on April 12th, um, since it's... Uh, uh, and well, it's been four weeks since then, but we only have the unemployment insurance claims for three of those weeks. And uh, in those three weeks, 11 million more claims for unemployment were filed. And so if you add these um, lost jobs to the report, it would definitely push the unemployment report uh, to about 25%, uh, well, 26%, which is bad as the worst of the Great Depression. And it's it's possible that the um, report on May, which will come out in the first Friday in June, will actually show if it includes all the people who are uh, not being counted, it'll show a higher unemployment rate than the Great Depression. So things could get, uh, in terms of just pure numbers, worse than the Great Depression uh, by next month. And uh, I, I I do want to talk do some some forecasting and and, and do some speculation on on uh, what this will mean for the future. But first, I want to talk about um, where we might be without COVID, um, because you were talking about uh, economic um, indicators. Um, like I have an article. The downturn um, back. Um, I, I think it's early as August. June, June last year, uh, you had an article that were cracks in the U.S. economy. Uh, in Fight Back News and talks about the inverted yield curve and kind of the signs of what the recession would be. Of course, as you know, like Marxists were like always expecting that and looking at it. But I guess, yeah, like this recession, it of course was exacerbated by COVID. But where would, yeah, like where do you think the economy would be if it hadn't been for the pandemic? Oh, (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I, I tough think question. it's a little, um, I mean, a recession was coming, but the, the fact of the matter is that the, um, uh, you know, the deficit spending uh, under the Trump administration, we had a trillion dollar uh, U.S. government deficit, which is the biggest non-wartime uh, uh, deficit, non-wartime, non-depression deficit uh, ever. Um, definitely was stimulating the economy. So um, it's, it, it probably would not be that bad right now. It would go bad at some point in the future. Now, speaking of uh, things like the inverted yield curve, and um, there was a, a fair amount of shakiness in the, um, some of the financial markets um, uh, developing last year. But one of the things that the Fed did, the Federal Reserve Bank, our central bank did, starting in um, early March, uh, was it really flooded the financial markets with uh, money. And the Federal Reserve actually had, um, was printing or creating literally trillions of dollars of uh, new money uh, to be able to loan out to banks and corporations and even uh, local governments. And so the Fed has really uh, taken a um, historic uh, role uh, in the last recession, it uh, moved from just uh, providing money uh, to banks and other financial institutions to directly, um, uh, or I'm sorry, I should say indirectly lending in the mortgage market. And now it's gone even further uh, by um, uh, lending uh, to um, uh, some uh, state and local uh, government. So um, uh, basically uh, it has a, uh, uh, th these actions have uh, normalized the uh, yield curve, albeit at a very low level, with 10-year uh, U.S. government bonds yielding about six-tenths of one percent. Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, the um, official uh, indicators of a recession are a significant decline in employment um, and industrial production in uh, business sales, and in um, uh, people's incomes. And basically all of those, uh, well, three out of four that have been reported uh, are true for um, March and the uh, fourth one uh, should be coming out this week, personal income, and they'll, they'll confirm that. So it's one of those, this is again, usually what happens is the industrial production turns down first um, representing weaknesses in the manufacturing center, and then employment, and then sales and income uh, lag a little bit. Uh, but this, again, everything is being compressed. So uh, this is the first time I know of that it's all four indicators went down right in the same month. And so uh, the recession, uh, I'm not sticking my head out, except it hasn't been officially called, uh, but I'm... I'm uh, very certain the uh, recession officially began uh, in March. And so we're in, uh, well, we're actually in the third month now because we're in May. Um, hmm. Okay, sorry. <laughs> did, did that sort of answer your question? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Um, do you want me to go into where things might go from here? Sure. Okay. So that's really the big question at this point. Uh, one is when will the decline stop? And secondly, what will the recovery look like? Okay. So while um, the, the most um, up-to-date 
uh, indicator is these uh, weekly unemployment claims. They're reported every uh, Thursday. So this week's claims will be reported next Thursday. Um, while the um, weekly claim numbers have dropped from an all-time high of, um, uh, to um, about 3 million uh, per week, this is still four times <laughs> as high as the um, uh, highest uh, number of claims uh, um, outside of the last uh, five weeks. Um, and it's also uh, six times as high as the number of claims when the recession uh, finally ended um, back in 2009. So even though uh, these um, layoffs are slowing, uh, we're a long way from hitting bottom. And so May is definitely going to be uh, worse than um, uh, this month, I mean, uh, than April. Um, now, if you look at the stock market, um, many people have noticed that it's, a, it's certainly not tracking what's going on in the economy. In fact, it's funny, uh, like four out of five times when these, you know, record unemployment insurance claim numbers have been reported, the stock market has gone uh, up. And so um, uh, there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, investors on Wall Street tend to be very optimistic that the economy is going to bottom soon and then bounce back uh, quickly. Um, one of the things also boosting the stock market um, is that many large corporations, such as General Motors and McDonald's, are continuing to pay dividends to their shareholders, even as, as they're laying off uh, thousands of workers and slashing hours of work and even cutting pay. Um, so from Wall Street's view, uh, which I think is a little bit delusional, but things are not that bad yet, and they uh, are optimistic about the future. But I think for working people, it's a, a very different uh, reality. Um, you've seen um, photos of lines miles long uh, in front of food banks. In fact, I remember there's this sort of telling one of this uh, food bank line stretching right across the uh, uh, body of water from uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago uh, uh, resort. Um, many people have uh, uh, been not paying their bills or even delaying their rent or uh, mortgage uh, payments. And while uh, many people have been able to get unemployment and then there's also uh, many people have gotten those $1,200 uh, relief checks, um, but uh, millions of people uh, have not, and there's still millions of people who have not even been able to apply for unemployment, even though they've been out of work for weeks, because uh, what has been happening is a lot of states, especially Republican-led ones like Florida, have been um, not only cutting, restrict, cutting um, the, um, uh, uh, or restricting uh, who can apply for unemployment insurance, but they've also been cutting funding uh, for their uh, systems and their staffing and everything. And so people have been getting, uh, you know, no, no, nobody answering their calls and websites crashing uh, for weeks now. Um, I think a lot of uh, workers who have been laid off uh, were told that the layoff is temporary, uh, but we see more and more uh, companies uh, coming out and saying that, no, these are permanent layoffs. And then we see other companies uh, 
uh, either uh, filing for bankruptcy or just going out of business uh, completely and saying that they're not uh, going to reopen. So there's a growing number of these permanent uh, job losses. Um, I think there's uh, two big questions that uh, 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 remain to be seen. Um, one is what's what's happening with uh, the infection because all these, you know, uh, uh, well, they're so-called experts. Some of them are really uh, quacks and frauds um, are talking about, you know, when the um, uh, uh, infection is going to decline. But the fact of the matter is that we really don't know. We don't have an effective treatment, unfortunately, and we don't have a vaccine. And I know there's a lot of talk, oh, can we get a vaccine in 12 to 18 months? And I certainly hope, and certainly uh, 12 months would be better than 18 months. But one of the things they don't stress is the world record for developing a vaccine is four years. And now it doesn't mean it can't be beat because there are thousands, tens of thousands of people and millions and millions of dollars being poured into this, not only in the United States, but in Europe and China and other countries to try and develop a vaccine. But it's just not for sure because we can look, unfortunately, at the case of the HIV. Uh, while we have developed uh, fairly effective therapeutics so people can live with it, um, we haven't been able to develop the vaccine, even though it's been close to 40 years since the uh, disease was uh, discovered. Um, and so uh, the reality of what's happening here in the United States is that outside of New York City, which was the epicenter of the infection here and where infections and deaths and hospitalizations uh, are still high, but they're definitely in a sharp decline from where they were a few weeks ago. But outside of that, infections are still rising in the rest of the United States. And so it can be uh, to see the overall number in the U.S., sort of flat and maybe a slight downward uh, trajectory is actually um, a little bit uh, deceiving because actually what's going on is we have a sharp uh, improvement, um, thank goodness, in New York City, but in the rest of the country, and of course it differs from place to place, but in the rest of the country, uh, it is not a downward trend. And so uh, there's a threat of uh, what's happening uh, with a lot of states and counties are trying to um, uh, relax uh, the stay-at-home order. And um, there's, uh, I think, a lot of uh, people who study epidemics and disease feel it's quite likely there's going to be a resurgence of the uh, uh, COVID-19 in this country. So, and that's going to, you know, be really bad uh, for the uh, economy. Um, I think another um, big threat to the economy is the growing uh, budget crisis at state and local levels. Um, already in the latest employment report, this is just in um, uh, as of April 12th, uh, well over a million uh, state and local uh, government workers, mainly uh, school workers, uh, have been um, uh, uh, laid off. And uh, many states are uh, and counties and cities and school districts are uh, just, you know, uh, uh, facing these massive uh, budget deficits. The one I know best, 
actually, to be honest, it's the only one I know um, because I live here is California. Uh, they're predicting a $54 billion deficit for the next two months and the next fiscal year. And this is almost one third of the state government's total budget uh, during that time. And so that's a huge budget hole to um, uh, be down uh, a third. And, and so while there are efforts in Congress to um, uh, pass a fourth, uh, I think, um, bill to aid in particular state and local governments, uh, both President Trump and a number of Republican senators have been attacking the idea. Um, Trump is, uh, you know, basically saying, oh, it's a fault of these uh, Democratic states who are badly run. I think he's talking about California. Of course, the fact of the matter is, is uh, the state, uh, it is, it does have a Democrats, you know, it's not quite, but it's getting close to a one party uh, state. Uh, there's no uh, Republican statewide office holders. It's uh, entirely uh, Democrats. Um, it actually had a budget surplus uh, going into uh, February. And then, um, excuse the language, but the shit hit the fan. And now it's uh, really bad. And I know my city, um, city of San Jose, already cut um, over a 1,000 workers uh, already um, and is going to be uh, cutting uh, even more. Uh, in the, uh, uh, starting in July when the next fiscal year. Oh, yeah. And then uh, there's a famous uh, Senate, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham speaking to a conservative conference said that there'll be more aid for state and local governments over my dead body. So while I don't, uh, I'm not quite saying uh, state and local governments should get aid at any cost. Um, I, I, I don't mind uh, overrunning uh, Lindsey Graham's at least will. Um, and so unfortunately, it's, it's um, uh, pretty likely, um, it's definitely possible to likely that uh, between Trump and the Republican-led Senate, that they would block any aid to state and local governments. And this would uh, lead to even not only cutbacks in jobs, but also in a lot of uh, services. And so uh, especially that, uh, uh, you know, workers... Uh, press nationality communities um, rely uh, heavily on, and and it would probably uh, disproportionately hit um, press nationality workers who are often overrepresented uh, in uh, government jobs. Uh, going back a little, I have a question. Uh, mm -hmm. Just with the relief checks, um, I've ha I've had a lot of people that I've like come across or heard from that have been like really worried to even use those funds because they expect that next year when taxes come around that they're going to um, be need to pay them back and are not in a place ever to be able to do that. Is that something that they should be concerned about or is that like how how do you expect that to work? So one of the things that a lot of people aren't clear on is that um, these checks, the $1,200 checks and the $500 for children are actually a refundable tax cut that's being paid out. Um, and this is similar to what uh, uh, President Bush Jr. did in 2008. Uh, he also did one, although it's smaller, it was, uh, I think it was only $400. Uh, per adult and nothing for children. But this is actually a tax cut, um, uh, uh, refundable rebate on your taxes. And as such, 
it's not taxable income. Now I should note, um, as I learned uh, the hard way uh, when the first time I was unemployed, uh, people's unemployment payments are taxable um, by the federal government. I know here in California, the state doesn't tax them, but that's going to be, uh, that could vary from state to state. So uh, I was a little bit, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that know, includes I mean, the, the increases. Or I lost my job and I'm getting unemployment and then you're going to tax that. Yeah. And, you know, the unemployment is uh, usually a fraction of what um, people were earning beforehand. So in terms of these um, uh, relief checks, no, uh, they should not be taxed. Uh, uh, but um, the unemployment uh, checks uh, will be taxed, at least by the federal government. I and I think as well as someone who's on unemployment in Utah, and it could be, I'm sure that it varies by state and such. Um, there, there is an option to have taxes withheld, like from, from your payments. And so mm -hmm. I just selected that option, knowing it's better <laughs> to just get it, you know, out of the way beforehand instead of trying to come up with those funds later. But so I think now um, with unemployment, there are those options at least, at least. In Utah, there is so I imagine other states. I think might have there that is. Option. There probably is. I don't see why not in all states. I mean, the problem, of course, is some people uh, can't afford to pay the taxes now, and the taxes aren't going to be due till April of 2021. So it also uh, can make sense because we don't, you know, that people think they'll be in a better position in April of next year to just take the full amount because they need it now. So yeah, it, it's. Um, it's something that it really, if you, if you can afford to pay the taxes, that's probably better. But if you really need the money now because you're, you know, short on food or, you know, you're worried about um, your utilities or your, your telephone bill, um, then, yeah, you should uh, put it off. Um, uh, do what you have to do. Uh, how do you think... Uh, activists and organizers should be responding to this moment. Um, we obviously know the capitalist class is is taking advantage of the the, the moment to the um, greatest extent they can. Um, there's going to be uh, a major push for for austerity, um, all kinds of shock therapy measures, uh, streamlining co corporations. Um, we're, we're already seeing a huge increase in in automations, but. Um, uh, yeah, what can we do at this moment to uh, best advance the, the agenda of working and oppress people? I think, you know, the big thing is to realize this, this truly is a, a different um, situation. Um, that this is the most serious economic crisis this country has felt uh, since the, the Great Depression. Uh, one other factor uh, that I didn't mention is that um, unlike 2009, uh, this is affecting uh, almost every major economy um, around the world. And one of the things that was helpful, it, it didn't cure it, but it was helpful in the 2000, uh, following the 2008 uh, financial crisis is there is a number of uh, developing uh, economies, um, sometimes referred to as the BRIC, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, that uh, were, their economies were actually doing relatively well. And they provided a bit 
of a backstop uh, to the uh, world uh, economy. In fact, uh, they, they continue to grow for the most part right through uh, the recession. And while there, uh, those economies were not as big as um, you know, the major uh, capitalist economies in the uh, United States and Europe and Japan, it still uh, was a, a helpful factor. And unfortunately, uh, today, um, the economies of all those countries have been affected, uh, some more than others, uh, but they've all, um, uh, they've all been hit. And so that's another factor that is, in some ways, like the uh, Great Depression, where uh, uh, the uh, uh, economic problems took hold around the world. Um, so this is a, a, a new situation. Um, I think, uh, you know, we have to take it uh, seriously. And it's also, of course, challenging because of the uh, pandemic itself uh, in terms of, you know, uh, obvious forms of protests like uh, mass rallies um, are not, uh, uh, or marches are not really um, that safe at this time. So I think uh, people will, of course, have to be creative. And I know uh, uh, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, car caravans or people, um, you know, uh, picketing uh, or holding signs at a, you know, at a safe distance from each other. Um, so, you know, so that's one thing is uh, adopting, adapting the tactics to fit the um, public health crisis. Uh, but I think the, um, the economic crisis is going to be a wide ranging in the impact, of course, uh, there's, it's going to affect the um, uh, labor movement. Uh, one of the things um, it's interesting is that there's actually been a mini wave of uh, uh, labor uh, struggles, walkouts, uh, wildcat strikes by workers who are concerned about uh, their working conditions. And this is a, it's a very serious thing. And especially in the uh, meatpacking plants where you will have a uh, meatpacking plants with thousands of workers and half of them get infected uh, by the uh, COVID-19 because the uh, big um, capitalists here are not concerned with their uh, workers' uh, health and safety. So that's going to be a big um, arena of struggle. Um, another one is um, it's going to have a big uh, impact on uh, young people, on students, because there's going to be uh, major cuts uh, to public universities and colleges uh, come the fall um, as the uh, states uh, and school districts lose um, uh, tax revenue. So uh, there's probably going to be a lot of tuition hikes too. And th so that's going to be uh, a major uh, challenge. Um, I think, um, you know, there's going to be a struggle like there was a effort, but Republicans are blocking it. There's a need for uh, increased um, funding, for example, and, and, and eligibility uh, for food stamps or what's called the uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, there's a, a survey said that one out of five children in this country are um, are going uh, hungry, don't have enough to eat every day. And so um, those are shocking uh, statistics. And, you know, we can see it at the, um, uh, at the food banks. Um, uh, there's, um, you know, uh, unfolding uh, housing uh, crisis as people aren't um, able to pay their rent or mortgages. And, 
and for the rent, a lot of people, a lot of places have, uh, uh, but not not a majority. A lot of localities have uh, uh, banned evictions uh, for a certain period of time. But the problem is that if you don't pay your rent, you still owe it. So there's going to be um, um, over time more and more struggles uh, to actually have the uh, actually have rent relief and not just eviction relief, because it's not reasonable to assume that someone's not able to pay their rent because they've been there, everyone in their household uh, has lost their job. In fact, I have a student who had to drop my class because uh, she had to go to work full-time because both her parents had uh, dropped, uh, lost their jobs due to the uh, effects of the pandemic. But anyway, it's not going to be reasonable for people to pay thousands and thousands of dollars in back rent, uh, even when they get their um, uh, jobs back. So that's going to be a big uh, area of a struggle. Same thing with the utility, um, internet, cell phone, uh, uh, bills, things like that. Again, in some areas, um, I know, and I think it's in this, our state wide, they've uh, banned uh, utility shutoffs. But again, that doesn't mean you don't owe the money. It's just going to be uh, piling up. So I do think this is a um, uh, historically a uh, new situation. And, um, you know, there's going to be uh, one that you mentioned about austerity coming down the road. It's going to be a major uh, struggle on a number of fronts from uh, at, um, you know, at, uh, uh, I know in my own uh, uh, school, in my own college, uh, the fastest growing, uh, well, the three fastest growing categories of employees are administrators, managers, and supervisors, you know. And so... The important uh, positions. What's that? The important positions. Yes. Uh, but they're growing, you know, they're growing faster. And the slowest growing have actually been uh, uh, faculty, right? Um, and so we have a situation, for example, where there's a one uh, manager supervisor for every four uh, staff workers. Yeah. One to four. Wow. <laughs> you guys need a lot of management. I don't know. Oh, yeah, we Keeping need. I don't know why you can't already just... talking about, you know, budget cuts and stuff. So there was a slogan that was around in 2008. This is mainly applying. I, I can't swear that the same thing is happening at state and local governments, but it's definitely true in the schools. Um, we had a slogan of chop from the top. And I think that's uh, going to have to be something because it is going, it is a fact that the schools are going to be short of money. But if they have to cut, they should cut uh, the administrators, managers, and supervisors, and preserve as many of the workers' jobs. Not just because the workers need the jobs, but they're the ones who are actually teaching and providing. But aren't schools uh, there just to give the administrators a job? Like, I'm sorry, what's that? Isn't the purpose of universities and schools just to give administrators a job, though? Is education really like important? <laughs> it sure seems like that. And then they, they create, I mean, this is a, a pet peeve, but they create more and more reports and projects and stuff for the faculty to do in part to justify their existence, you know, because anyway, I know that, that's sort of a, that's, I, that's a getting a little bit uh, a pet peeve, um, but pushing back on austerity at the federal level uh, to make sure, I mean, at some point, I, I'm sure that we're going to need to extend uh, the unemployment benefits because typically they only run for six months. Uh, some states have cut them even more to a shorter period than that. 
And so um, given what I foresee as a long and slow uh, recovery is that uh, if there is one, um, we're going to need, there's going to be fights uh, uh, to extend that. And so it's, it's really going to be a, um, you know, and I know, uh, speaking of students, like our local uh, Students for a Democratic Society chapter was, uh, have reacted to the crisis that a lot of international students have been in during this uh, time as well, mm-hmm. especially, you know, with travel bans and those things due to the pandemic, but then also funding being cut for their programs or for their their studies as well. Mm-hmm. And uh so I know that's that's also a pretty critical issue for a lot of students. Um, I don't know. Right. I, I imagine that it's kind of a universal thing at schools. Right. I mean, actually, one of the issues is I think there's an expectation that the number of international students are gonna, is going to drop dramatically uh, next year, which is going to put pressure uh, on a lot of uh, colleges and universities because many of them, have been relying on the much higher tuition that they pay to help, well, <laughs> to help hire more administrators. <laughs> no, our, my college, our, my district's uh, international, you know, and, you know, we, we are a community college, you know. I'm like, uh, we're not Stanford, you know, but they, we actually have a vice chancellor uh, for uh, international studies, and we have a uh, you know, we the district spends literally millions of dollars a year to support and recruit um, international students, and so it's uh, quite. Uh, and anyway. and with that, I guess with stay-at-home orders and things in place like that, a lot of us have been following because you know we want to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I know, I imagine in California somewhere there's been some protests uh, by people to open the economy again and to get back to work. In Utah, mm-hmm. there certainly has been. And uh, with that, like, I've also heard from some people who are more progressive and left, like, that to also, I don't know, like, fight for opening things or, like, because they're afraid of laws becoming so strict or stringent that like we're not allowed to assemble or we're not allowed to protest. We're not allowed to go out. Uh, obviously I haven't heard that from like comrades or anything, but I guess what we, what are your thoughts on that as far as like opening, but also uh, maintaining our, our rights to do work and to organize and all of that when we do. Um, I think there, I mean, uh, two things. One is that, um, again, I'm not an epidemiologist, um, but I I, I, um, have studied the economic impact of epidemics and and that way learned a little bit about it. And actually before I um, went into economics, I was actually wanted to be a biochemist. So I, I, you know, know a little bit about biology and um, so forth. And uh, the, the, the problem is there's, there's really only um, uh, two ways that uh, countries have uh, successfully suppressed uh, large outbreaks. And so there have been a number of countries 
that have pretty much prevented a large outbreak in those countries, like for example, uh, Vietnam uh, has done uh, very well in this regard. And it's actually sort of ironic because I have a friend who's Vietnamese and her father was in Vietnam and she was making efforts right in the beginning because, you know, Vietnam's right next to China and they were getting a number of infections very early to get them back to the U.S. But I think Vietnam really kept, was able to track and trace people uh, the infections. And so the infections there, I think, are in the total infections are in the low hundreds in Vietnam. And, and, and I believe they didn't have any deaths. Is that correct? Uh, At least up until a long point. Um, I'm not, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Not recently, I know, but um, I could actually tell you. And I'm a little bit of a whatever. I, I probably, um, uh, I, 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 uh, one of the things the World Health Organization recommends is that you need to get, you know, plenty of sleep to keep your immune system in good shape. And what are the things you can do to uh, help get a good night's sleep? <laughs> one of their recommendations is uh, don't read too much about the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> so unfortunately... So, so if you're listening to this, don't. <laughs> Well, or at least don't listen to this late at night while you're lying in bed, that's for sure. Um, uh, yeah, actually, um, Nick, you're right. They are reporting a no confirm. Oh, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. No, they're confirming no uh, confirmed deaths and uh, less than 300 total infections. This is really um, remarkable for a country that shares a border with China. Right, right, right. Um, but um, the... Uh, Although I should note that it's um, really the uh, issue has not been, you know, in, the, in this modern uh, day of travel, uh, most of the international effect, uh, infections have not been over border, over border crossings on the land. They've mainly been through uh, air traffic, right, right? Uh, travel. And so, um, but the two countries, I think, that had large uh, outbreaks and then were able to... Um, suppress them uh, successfully uh, was, uh, first of all, of course, in China, uh, where they had over 80,000 infections and unfortunately close to 5,000 deaths. And uh, they had a very uh, stringent uh, system of um, uh, uh, stay at home, uh, even much more so uh, than here in the United States. And then uh, the other one uh, was in um, South Korea. Um, where they had uh, for a, a number of weeks, uh, if you watched any of the world uh, reports, uh, South Korea was in second place, uh, right behind um, China. And uh, they had uh, close to, um, uh, well, about 9,000 deaths um, at that time. And they had a very uh, 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 sophisticated uh, uh, track and test uh, track and trace and isolate uh, people who are infected. So one of the things that is different in both China and South Korea than here is generally here, even if you're known to be infected with COVID-19, you're um, told to stay at home, right? Quarantine yourself at home. Hopefully. But what's that? I said, hopefully. I know here in Utah, there was a town just south of Salt Lake that had a couple of businesses that their business owners told people uh, to continue to work and uh, to disregard all safety measures for COVID and then ended up having 65 
employees that tested yeah. positive. And yeah. an interesting thing is that uh, although the news reported the cases of those employees, they did not release the business names. And so I think I think that's pretty. Yeah. Well, that's just on a small scale what's been happening with a number of uh, yeah. meat production plants, uh, especially pork and beef, uh, but also uh, chicken. Um, what was I going to say? And so one of the differences, too, um, is in both China and South Korea is if you're uh, confirmed to be infected, you're not told to go home. Uh, you're arranged to go to a separate place, uh, either where you have an individual room or where you're uh, with other infected people so that you don't infect uh, your own family. Because um, it was very clear in uh, China, actually, the majority of infections uh, were within the same household, right? Um, because you're, you know, you're living together. And so, um, but that's something that we don't do here um, at all. So um, it's uh, very, um, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, there's a term for it, what's called a slow motion train wreck. <laughs> and so that's sort of what you see here. Testing is being ramped up, but uh, outside of the White House, now the White House is an exception. They are testing everybody now once a day and they have this rapid 15-minute test, of course. And at the same time, Trump's saying, oh, testing isn't that important. So, But anyway, let's look at what, uh, in this case, what they do, not what they're saying. Um, we don't have the testing. We need a huge army of contact, contact tracers, people who will follow up with every single person um, that the infected person has come in sustained contact with, not casual, but, you know, uh, sustained contact um, and um, and we need uh, you know quarantine uh, facilities and uh, that's all developing but it's developing uh, very slowly um, and I think this effort to uh, open up stuff is just it's going to in the in the medium in the short term it's going to lead to a lot more infections and deaths and then Oh, did we lose you? Is that is that working? All right. Can you still hear us? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Sorry for the, the change in audio quality. Our uh, uh, Zoom link stopped working, so uh, we're just going to finish this up over the phone here. Okay. Um, so you were talking about the... Um, the testing capabilities. Um, I had heard that we should like be at a, at the absolute minimum at like uh, half a million uh, tests per day. Um, and we're at, uh, I, th I believe 200,000 a day right now. Um, ideally we'd be testing like 10% of the population a day or more. Um, something like 35 million, but we're obviously nowhere close to that. And I'm not sure if there's any news about um, any, uh, massive increase in tests coming. So that's definitely a um, very poor indicator for, for the United States in uh, yeah. reopening. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, safely reopening. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't followed uh, the exact numbers, um, but the even beyond the testing, which is being scaled up, is the um, uh, what you need is you need to combine testing with uh, people called contact tracers. So 
So when you find someone who is uh, positive, uh, infected, you need to, um, uh, well, two things actually. So the first thing is we need to get the testing to the point where there's a lot of testing done of people who are not symptomatic. Because right now the vast majority of people who are being tested are, are somewhat symptomatic, right? And we know that uh, for the disease, it's a very sort of odd disease that for many people, they have almost no symptoms at all. Um, and so unless we can catch those people, uh, it's going to be um, uh, problematic. So we do need more testing, but we also need more contact, uh, contact tracers, people whose job it is that once you've been confirmed positive, to review with you, okay, where's everywhere you've been? You know, if you've been to work, who else was there at work, right? And then contact everybody who you've been in a closed space with for any amount of time and say you need to get tested and then be able to test them. And so that's also something that we're um, uh, far away from. And, you know, I mean, the uh, this is uh, hopefully uh, things will get better, but, you know, the um, whole anti-vax movement has uh, gotten to the point where a recent poll said that like 25% of people said they wouldn't take a COVID-19 vaccine, even if it were available, right? That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, but it, it's just part of the whole anti-science, uh, you know, posture that, uh, you know, really uh, grew uh, a lot with the whole climate change um, uh, issue where a lot of people who want to, you know, keep uh, polluting uh, keep business as usual, they would be attacking, you know, the science. Um, so I, I don't think, I think the, the, the main thing, um, you know, in terms of uh, uh, um, opening up is to be able to tell people honestly that it's not safe and that uh, it's, uh, oh, what I was going to say is that back in the 1918 pandemic, um, there were actually studies because different cities adopted different policies and the cities that were more restrictive not only had fewer infections and deaths, but their economies bounced back faster following the pandemic than the places where uh, they had a loose restrictions and it really got more out of control. So I think even this thing about, um, you know, reopening uh, sooner is very short-sighted, you know. Uh, it, it, anyway, it's very short-sighted. I feel like that uh, sums up capitalism overall. It's just short-sighted. Right. And incredibly disorganized. You know, when you see the, the response from, from countries with a, 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 so, a strong central state uh, and uh, a centrally planned uh, economy, um, I, I, I think it's clear that, that those countries are, are weathering the storm far better than the system where, uh, you know, Trump doesn't want to take responsibility for anything. So he gives up control to the governors and the governors take, uh, um, different, uh, different paths, uh, some, uh, opening up much quicker than others. And, and there's no overall cohesive plan, uh, in place anywhere. Um, 
it's it, it it's also really amazing to see how effectively Trump has politicized this and and right. how high his approval numbers are in the midst right. of this. Right. Um, when there it, it, there's little to to no, nothing he could have done worse. Um, from uh, a, a, as you say in the the fightback articles, uh, um, c- cutting the CDC's budget year by year, uh, asking for a twenty percent cut this year, uh, yep. firing the pandemic response team. Uh, yet somehow he's he's still up near sixty uh, percent approval in his his response to the pandemic. I, uh, I think I, it's lower than that. It's not sixty, but it's still it's it's still close to fifty. It's quite it's you know. His approval rating basically went up in the first period, but I think I think it's coming down because you know one of his claims, which is a bogus claim because he, he wasn't a good business person, um, is you know he can better open up the economy because he's a business person. But I think that's going to be uh, you know the, the you know the thing about politicizing it again. It's very similar uh, to the whole debate about climate change, trying to make it a political issue rather than a scientific issue. Um, and um, um, so, you know, the, the thing is about the virus, it, it really doesn't care about politics. Um, it <laughs> doesn't care. It, it, uh, and, you know, it, it, it's funny because um, uh, one, uh, one uh, uh, you know, it's been, uh, this is a whole effort, it's been compared to war. And, you know, one, for, one commentator, I don't remember who said, well, you know, the, the thing is uh, the virus, doesn't change tactics you know it doesn't think things over and uh you know try and do a switcheroo on us it just does the same thing over and over and over again and if you can't beat your enemy who doesn't change their tactics and uh you're uh, it's really problematic um i mean one of the things that come i mean there is just in so many different uh places you can see where uh the profit motive has um set the stage for this uh, terrible pandemic, um, you know, uh, the first thing is that uh, public health is not profitable. Um, it's not, you know, you can't make a profit off of public health measures because a lot of uh, public health measures uh, mean things that are in fact are costly. So for example, it means having uh, extra beds in hospitals, right? So if you have a pandemic, you can handle it without you know, ending up like in the New York City hospitals where, you know, patients are, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, lined up in gurneys in the hallway because they don't even have enough uh, beds for them. Um, and the whole, you know, as, as the hospitals have become more and more subject to the profit motive, the whole uh, point has been uh, efficiency, which means lowering the number of beds, lowering the number of ventilators, reducing stockpiles of personal protective equipment, again, that's not uh, 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 profitable. Um, We're seeing it, um, I mean, across the country, uh, somewhere between a third and a half of all deaths are in nursing homes, right? And as more and more nursing homes, again, are taken over by, uh, you know, for-profit corporations, one of the things they do is they cut, you know, uh, health and safety precautions and staffing in general. And again, this is uh, sort of laid the basis for uh, what it is. And so this is one of the things where, you know, even some of the other, um, you know, I mean, South Korea is a very capitalist country or uh, Germany, it's actually, a, you know, a monopoly capitalist, uh, in my view, imperialist country. 
but they've done better because their health systems are not as uh, profit-centered as here in the uh, United States, you know. And so, um, uh, anyway, uh, and and so that's uh, and again, the whole medical industry too has been oriented towards. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, chronic diseases, heart disease, cancer, uh, which are important, uh, diabetes, kidney failure, but they're also very profitable because uh, people with those issues, they have it for years and years and years. And so drugs and treatment and so forth uh, are long lasting, where the problem with uh, contagious diseases is that uh, there might be a huge surge of cases, but then uh, everybody either gets well or dies, right? So you don't, you know, it's not like, um, you know, blood pressure medicine where you take it, you know, basically for a long, long time. So again, the profit motive has steered the pharmaceutical uh, industry towards uh, away from, uh, you know, contagious, uh, trying to fight contagious diseases. Yeah, we even talked to someone before and they said that they had a better uh HIV HIV medicine and they couldn't get it patented because everyone the other one was so much more expensive and even though it made people more miserable when they took it they couldn't get uh theirs patented and they went out of business and so yeah it just it's supposed to be the the myth seems to be that it improves innovation by constantly you know and, and having a profit motive, but it, all it does is stifle it when it's not, uh, when it's, it's people who need those medicines for sure. And I, mean, uh, I think no, also um, Trump and, you know, it's a very uh, unfortunately widespread attitude in the United States that we're number one. We don't have anything to learn from other countries. We're number one in COVID-19 cases. That's for sure. Uh, for sure. Um, <laughs> that, um, that also has affected the response here. Because I was reading an interesting article about uh, why Germany has, even though they've had a lot of um, infections, they have a lot fewer deaths uh, than in um, uh, other, uh, you know, big European countries, Spain, France, Italy. The UK is actually now number two in the world. Um, and one of the things that was interesting uh, uh, was that the article was talking about how Germany, you know, German um, uh, corporations have a lot of joint enterprises in China, and their German managers in China were calling, you know, the home office uh, back in January and February and saying, hey, this thing is a big deal, you know, you better get prepared, right? And it really struck me because the U.S. also, U.S. corporations, General Motors, for example, uh, Apple, other corporations, they have joint ventures, they have plants in China, and yet they must have been getting those reports, and yet, it is, so it isn't just the Trump administration, but it goes all the way up to, you know, it's much broader uh, within the capitalist class here of uh, CEOs and um, uh, people that uh, you don't, you know, we don't need to pay attention to what's going on in other countries. That uh, Well, and and one trend I noticed with uh, COVID-19, before we had many cases in the U.S., um, when we were kind of tracking it, you know, abroad, 
and the potential for it to be here. I think there were some cases in like Washington or, you know, um, one of the things was I saw a lot of coverage and news about like what was happening in Italy, what's happening in Spain, what's happening in China. Uh, and then as the U.S., overtook numbers with COVID-19 as now having the most cases, the most deaths and all of that. Right. I hardly <laughs> see anything about anyone else and hardly anything about what's going on in the U S too. in like a lot of the mainstream media. Um, so I think that's, that's an interesting trend where. Yeah. And they're, I, know, I'm, I'm not sure. Trying to say, oh, it's China's fault because they kept it a secret. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's also been pretty amazing to see the the Democratic response. Um, Democratic Party, uh, s- yes, yeah. uh, seeing uh, 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 Joe Biden uh, refuse to budge on um, on single payer health care, mm-hmm. um, still wanting it to be tied to employment, even as we see how tentative that is with uh, you know. Uh, 15 by the official numbers, but 25% of the real numbers of people out of work. Um, right. Um, and presumably uh, uh, uncovered uh, yeah. by by any kind of insurance plan. Well, that's, you know, one of the weaknesses, too, is that the U.S. is um, uh, much more um, reliant on uh, employer-provided uh, health care um, than uh, even other capitalist countries. And, you know, and other countries, they have more of a, a stronger safety net. So I remember back in 2009 reading about interview with this German worker who had been laid off, and one thing they asked him about was, um, um, you know, about his health insurance. He said, oh, no, when I got laid off, the government just picked up uh, my health insurance premium, so I didn't have, you know, I had the same health insurer, same doctors. Basically, from my point of view, nothing, you know, from health insurance-wise, nothing changed. And then he added, yeah, and I saw my doctor, and the doctor said, "Oh, gee, you must have been—you must be stressed out from losing your job. I know it's very stressful." And then he prescribed this laid-off German worker a weekend at a local spa. Now, <laughs> 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 like, now that's health insurance. And the thing is, though, you think, well, maybe their health insurance is much more expensive. No, Germans spend only two-thirds as much as the United States in terms of health care wow. um, adjusted for the number of people and size of the economy. Um, and yet they're able to cover, you know, I mean, it has to be doctor recommended. It's not like, Oh, I'm just feeling a little down today. I want to go to spa. No, that, that, that's not covered by uh, significant things like being laid off. So, I mean, our whole thing is just shot. Anyway, I uh, can go on and on. Um, Let's see. Are there any last questions or points? Because I probably should wrap up because I have to turn yeah. back to uh, domestic labor in a few <laughs> minutes. So that's part of my arrangement on Sundays. My wife does her uh, social gathering and I help get dinner ready. Well, especially on a Mother's Day, right? <laughs> oh, that's true. But every Sunday. But every Sunday. Well, every Mother's Sunday is good. I, I did some real extra for breakfast. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I think we can leave it there. That was, uh, I guess, very I, enlightening. Oh, I did have, have I just had a, a final kind of, I guess, just to wrap up question about uh, what do you think the average like working class person should understand about the economy and like 
their relationship to it because it's so huge. It's so like, you know, like out of our hands as workers in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, so what do you think would be like the big takeaway for workers around the economy and what this recession might mean and um, how to move forward? I think the biggest single thing to me, and I, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of, uh, uh, I'm definitely in the better off um, part of the um, uh, working class where I, I not only I still have a job and I'm working at home, so it's relatively safe. Um, unlike, say, um, Nick, you know, you're working, uh, you know, you still have to go into work, you're exposed to other people, uh, et cetera. Um, um, but I think, to me, the big thing is still the importance of collective action. There's going to be need for collective action at work to try and maintain a health and or fight for a better health and safety standards. Um, there's going to need to be collective action, you know, uh, in the community um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, fighting for um, uh, food aid and rent relief. Um, and, um, and, uh, so I, I think that to me is the biggest single, uh, takeaway is the importance of, um, of, uh, of collective action because it is, you know, it is hard to, um, uh, you know, it, it really, they try and promote a sort of individual, uh, point of view. Um, but, um, there's really, unless you're a billionaire, um, there's not much you can accomplish <laughs> as an individual. You know? So for billionaires, yeah. individualism works. Uh, but for so regular working people, uh, no, we've got to figure out how to stick together. You know, it's really our only our. The, that's where our power comes from, for sure. Mm-hmm. When money and influence and like owning corporations is definitely kind of like the standard of like what makes you powerful in the United States or like in other capitalist countries, like our only means of addressing that seems to be through like just uniting people around um, those issues. So yeah, that's awesome. Maybe let me add one more thing is, you know, it's going to be fighting all of the, um, you know, racism and xenophobia uh, that uh, Trump and the right are trying to whip up even more with the COVID-19 and that we have to, you know, really counter that, um, you know, make it very clear that the problems of the U.S. are the problems of the U.S., you know, and that it doesn't do any good to blame China and even worse, not to try and learn lessons um, from China because even, even German capitalists uh, were able to do that, Um and uh, uh, we're not. And, you know, I, I find it uh, somewhat distressing. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about, um, oh, you know, Australia and New Zealand uh, hardly have any cases, which is true. Um, but like Vietnam, they hardly had any to begin with. And so we're, you know, how to keep uh, COVID-19 out, you know, is not our problem. The problem we have here is how do you suppress a huge infection? And that's where, to me, uh, you really, the only two successful cases are um, uh, uh, China and South Korea. And it's it really sort of galling to me how little 
attention is paid to South Korea, you know, and I can't keep yeah. thinking that, you know, and it, because it's a real Especially lately. country, but, um, you know, the U.S. doesn't even want to learn lessons. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Bye. Okay, yeah, thank you so much, Michelle. We'll okay. hopefully talk to you in a month or so. Okay. Okay, take care. Bye. Huge thanks again to Professor Suzuki. Thank you for tuning in to our first episode. Uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or YouTube or whatever podcast app you're using. And again, if you are an organizer who would like us to promote a campaign or work you're doing or just have a conversation with us about it, you can reach us at our email, approximateK at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Approximate Knowledge SLC. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.